Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Monday, April 3rd, 2023, the 803rd day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month, and in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And just as a note, I have become an affiliate of Kirk Elliott, PhD. He is an advisor on gold and precious metals. So if you are thinking about taking some of your money and putting it into assets other than the American dollar right now, go to KirkElliottPhD.com slash reasonable. I'm not going to do ads on the paid Substack version of this show, but I am going to introduce ads on the free version. So if you want to listen ad free, you got to come over to the Substack version. But for the rest of you, I just wanted to let you know that that is available. If you've been thinking about shifting some of your money, contact Kirk Elliott, have a conversation with his team, talk about your needs, see what you want to do, invest if it's right for you. I can't tell you what to do with your money. I don't know the future, but I do know that if you're concerned, the best bet is to get more information. So Kirk Elliott, slash reasonable two L's two T's in Elliott. Now, how about that for a big weekend? Lots of news coming out over the weekend. Good news on the Twitter front. Interesting news on the emergence of the multipolar world order. We're certainly going to talk about those two things. And domestic politics have become more ridiculous and more hilarious. And so we'll start there. Now, if you're a little older or you're not familiar with pop culture or not from Southern California, you may not know what Coachella is. 
if you spent 18 and a half years in Los Angeles since 2000, then you know that basically the entire spring is just Coachella season. People can't stop talking about Coachella and preparing their Coachella outfits and the little Indian headdresses that they used to wear until it became cultural appropriation and no longer allowed. But the biggest moment for Coachella season that's not actually part of Coachella season is when they announce the Coachella lineup and they always have a poster that shows who's playing. And so Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, the headline artists of each night are printed at the top of each section. And then as you go down through the day's artists, the typeface gets smaller and smaller as you go away from the headliners to the acts on the side stages, the ones that play really early in the day in front of no one. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. A lot of the times the most talented artists are on that poster in small typeface, just telling you how it's arranged. And usually they have some sort of desert themed color scheme and some desert themed imagery and everybody loves the posters. Oh, it's so exciting. Look at these artists that are now playing that, you know, aren't artists and don't play anything. They basically stand in front of a crowd and push buttons on computers while kids who are addicted to drugs go crazy for some reason. Oh, look, he's playing the Nirvana song. Well, yeah, but it ain't Nirvana. It's a DJ who pressed a button. You can do that at home or in your own car. But anyway, Coachella is very, very exciting. And the Coachella poster is very, very exciting. And knowing how very, very exciting these things are, for a certain brand of pop culture obsessed communist, the illegitimate Biden administration figured it would be a good idea to make a Coachella style poster for themselves, advertising Joe Biden's investing in America tour, where he sends himself and the illegitimate first lady and the illegitimate vice president and the second gentleman out around the country with Gina Raimondo and Deb Haaland and Pete Buttigieg and Javier Becerra and Janet Yellen. They're all going on tour around the country to tell everyone how great the illegitimate administration is making their lives. And they list the locations, Arkansas, Arizona, California. They're going to Nevada. They're going to New York. They're going to Ohio. There's like 20 states, 25 states that they're going to visit on their Investing in America tour. No one's going to show up anywhere, obviously. No one cares about anything they have to say. I saw this picture initially and I was like, this cannot be real. But I looked and I found out that it is real. Joe Biden posted it himself on April 1st. And apparently it's not an April Fool's joke. Because, of course, it is a real tour and the White House has put out official statements about their real tour. You can imagine the incompetence of the communists in the illegitimate administration. They would have actually thought this was a really, really good idea because they are that brand of pop culture obsessed communist who this sort of thing really appeals to. And therefore, they believe that it appeals to everyone else, too. Because, of course, they have the best taste. They have their finger on the pulse of what is hot right now. And I don't know how and I don't know why, but I was able to find Joe Biden's post immediately on Twitter by searching the word Joe Cella. Also from the realm of the hilarious, the deranged and the absurd this is former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson with ABC's John Carl. When I spoke to you earlier this year, you said you were thinking about running for president. Have you made a decision? Are you running? I have made a decision, and my decision is I'm going to run for president of the United States. While the formal announcement will be later in April in Bentonville, uh, I wanted to make clear that to you, Jonathan, I am going to be running and the reason, uh, as I've traveled the country for six months, I hear people talk about the leadership of our country, and I'm convinced that people want leaders that appeal to the best of America and not simply appeal to our worst instincts. And that inspires me when I see 
everyday Americans just saying, give us good leadership, give us common sense, consistent conservatism, and optimism about our great country. And uh, that inspires me, and I believe I can be that kind of leader for the people of America. So Asa Hutchinson, former governor of Arkansas, just replaced a couple of months ago by Sarah Huckabee Sanders. He needs something new to do with his life. And so he's going to go out and be Walmart's attack dog against President Donald J. Trump. Now, Asa Hutchinson has no chance of ever becoming greater than a 1% candidate in a Republican primary for 2024. He has absolutely no chance, virtually zero national name recognition, except on CNN and MSNBC, where they keep having him on television to promote him as a reasonable conservative alternative to somebody like Donald Trump. He's been all in for COVID, all in for trans and all in for whatever he's told to do by the Walton family who owns Walmart, which, of course, is based out of Arkansas. This is from the Daily Caller, April of 2001. This is two years old now. The governor of Arkansas denied allegations that he buckled to corporate pressure when he vetoed a ban on transgender surgeries for minors. Hutchinson has repeatedly said that he had not spoken with any state corporations about Arkansas's SAFE Act, which he vetoed Monday. The state legislator voted to override Hutchinson's veto, making Arkansas the first state to ban transgender surgeries and procedures for minors. The governor did not receive corporate pressure to veto HB 1570. Spokesman Katie Beck reiterated to the Daily Caller News Foundation Thursday afternoon. So Hutchinson's office denied that there was any influence over him whatsoever in terms of making this decision. But he had also made these comments when signing the Arkansas Fairness in Women's Sports Act into law. We're the home of some major corporations here in Arkansas. They're certainly worried about the image of our state, but we're trying to send a signal that you can protect conscience. You can protect girls in sports without being discriminatory and trying to say we are not diverse and tolerant of different lifestyles. That's important for us as a state and what we have to achieve as a nation. So obviously a very staunch conservative. Now, in response to him vetoing the law against transgender surgeries for minors, Thomas Walton, the grandson of Walmart founder Sam Walton, who is a committee chair on the Walton Family Foundation, released this statement. We are alarmed by the string of policies targeting LGBTQ people in Arkansas. This trend is harmful and sends the wrong message to those willing to invest in or visit our state. We support Governor Asa Hutchinson's recent veto of discriminatory policy and implore government, business and community leaders to consider the impact of existing and future policy that limits basic freedoms and does not promote inclusiveness in our communities and economy. Our nation was built on inalienable rights and strengthened by individual differences. Arkansas has been called the land of opportunity because it is a place where anyone can think big and achieve the extraordinary. Any policy that limits individual opportunity also limits our state's potential. Remember, they're talking about individual opportunity here as the opportunity for a child to have their gender altered by adults. So what do we have? We have a mega corporation, Walmart, who are absolutely, oh, you guessed it, a World Economic Forum partner. And naturally, the most powerful force in Arkansas politics, showing that they are indeed as woke as it comes. They made their business off selling low priced Chinese goods. What does that mean? There's a lot of slave labor in China, isn't there? And they sell those low priced goods to Americans in the middle and lower middle class generally, many of whom want nothing to do with this trans agenda or any of the globalist agenda that Walmart pushes and that Asa Hutchinson pushes. But they don't care what average Americans actually want. Average Americans don't get to be the deciders. That's for mega corporations like Walmart. So they have plucked Asa Hutchinson from utter obscurity, and now he is going to join the race for the GOP nomination. 
He's going to go out there and make the anti-Trump, never Trump argument to Republicans in the primary. And I guess hopefully get on a debate stage and really take Trump on. He is essentially operating as a Democrat at this point. He is out there to be the Lincoln project in the race. There is no other purpose for Asa Hutchinson's candidacy than to go out and try to tear down Donald Trump on behalf of Walmart. So what does that mean for Walmart? Now, keep in mind, after the 2020 election, there was a little controversy when Walmart's Twitter account responded sarcastically to Senator Josh Hawley and his objections to the obviously fraudulent and uncertifiable electors that were being sent to the Congress for certification to make Joe Biden the fake president. Why would Walmart want to involve themselves in that part of the political process? Why were they so anti Donald Trump? Is it because he was trying to decouple these transnational corporations from the Chinese Communist Party? Yeah, it probably was that, wasn't it? I mean, Arkansas is a deep red state, is it not? Why is Walmart pushing candidates and ideas that are antithetical to the ideas of the people in their state? And how scared and desperate must they be to be pushing the candidacy of Asa Hutchinson as an alternative to Donald Trump? No one buys that. No one's going to vote for Asa Hutchinson, but that's not what he's there for. He's only there to make Trump look bad on behalf of Walmart. You are seeing one of the most clear, blatant, obvious, perfect examples of how corporations involve themselves in our political process. They can't go out and just insult Donald Trump and his supporters all day long. So they hire Asa Hutchinson to do it. You also have to imagine that there are certain things that more serious candidates like Ron exclamation point can't say about Donald Trump. So it's good to have someone like Asa Hutchinson in the race who can say them because all of MAGA already knows he's a joke. Now, as embarrassing as this will certainly be for Asa Hutchinson, the real takeaway here is that Walmart is very scared. You have to imagine with that sort of wealth that they have all sorts of access to information. And of course, it's also worth remembering the recorded phone calls of Walmart CEO Greg Penner and Hunter Biden from 2018. And I just want to touch on this for a second. This is the Daily Mail in June of 2022. The headline is Joe Biden considered Republican Ohio Governor John Kasich as his running mate in 2020 after Sun Hunter and top donor and Walmart chairman Greg Penner devised plan for a bipartisan ticket to repair divided nation. Walmart board chairman Greg Penner, who has donated over $640,000 to political campaigns since 1999, had back channel talks with Hunter Biden in 2018 and 2019 to set up Joe with former Ohio Governor John Kasich for a bipartisan presidential ticket. The plot revealed in text messages, emails and a phone call recording on Hunter's abandoned laptop gives an insight into political strategies the president considered in an attempt to win the White House. But it also reveals his son's deep involvement in Joe's political decisions, the unfettered access to the would-be president that top Democrat donors received, and Hunter's mixing of personal business interests with Joe's presidential campaign, as he also pitched Penner's company on several money-making schemes. The Walmart chairman, 52, is a powerful figure married to company heiress Carrie Walton and manager of her family's sizable wealth fund. So who do you think Asa Hutchinson is working for? Why do you think he has gotten into this race? And what does that say about Walmart and how they see the status of things? That, my friends, is panic. Now, this is worth highlighting briefly. Don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but last night, MTG was on 60 Minutes in an interview with Leslie Stahl, and now the normie audience of 60 Minutes has seen this. 
and things she says that are over the top, like... The Democrats are a party of pedophiles. I would definitely say so. They support grooming children. They are not pedophiles. Why would you say that? Democrats, Democrats support, even Joe Biden, the president himself, supports children being sexualized and having transgender surgeries. Sexualizing children is what pedophiles do to children. Okay. You have to love Leslie Stahl's response. Just, wow. Okay. Just total condescension, which is hilarious because MTG is telling the truth. And that may not be the most elegant way to have answered that question, but it does drive the point home. This is what pedophiles do. They sexualize children. We have an entire party now devoted to the sexualization of children and the establishment wing of the other party, as we just mentioned, who is more than happy to allow the Democrats to sexualize children. So, yeah, kind of a party of pedophiles. Joe Biden's own daughter wrote in her diary, her journal, her therapy exercise that Joe used to take showers with her. Probably not appropriate, she said. The fake president has been filmed for decades groping and sniffing young girls. It's not fake. You've got Scott Weiner, the California representative who is basically supporting leniency on pedophiles in the California law. He's out there defending pedophiles all the time. And you have Ketanji Brown Jackson, who they nominated to the Supreme Court last year, who has a history of leniency on pedophiles. And what did they do when all of this came out to the country? Did they rescind her nomination? No. They said everyone else was a racist and sexist and bigot for mentioning that she was lenient on pedophiles. They said, no, that's not what that is, but it is what it is. Now, speaking of Democrats being pedophiles and in truth, to be fair, it is to some extent a uniparty problem and not exclusively a Democrat party problem. The Democrats are just more apt to go defend it in person and push the agenda forward publicly than the Republicans who might very well support all the same things. But the voters in those states do not have the same tolerance for it as the lunatics in California, for instance. Award winning Florida attorney 53, who represents sex abuse victims is arrested for having thousands of child pornography images on his computer. He founded Protect Our Kids First Committee and was named as one of America's 500 leading lawyers. This is the Daily Mail this morning. A South Florida attorney who had made a national name for himself representing child sex abuse victims has been arrested for allegedly having thousands of child pornography images stashed on his home computer. Michael T. Dolce, 53, earned national recognition for his work to end the statute of limitations for child sexual battery cases in the Sunshine State and was eventually named one of America's 500 leading lawyers for his work defending child sex abuse victims. But Dolce's reputation has come crumbling down after he was arrested on March 15th when FBI agents allegedly found nearly 2,000 images and five child pornography videos stored on his laptop. He now remains behind bars awaiting his arraignment scheduled for mid-April. If convicted on child pornography possession charges, Dolce could face up to 20 years in prison. Now, this gets interesting because Michael Dolce works for a law firm called Cohen Milstein. And this article is from CBS News, August 10th, 2018. DNC serves WikiLeaks with lawsuit via Twitter. The Democratic National Committee on Friday officially served its lawsuit to WikiLeaks via Twitter, employing a rare method to serve its suit to the elusive group that has thus far been unresponsive. As CBS News first reported last month, the DNC filed a motion with a federal court in Manhattan requesting permission to serve its complaint to WikiLeaks on Twitter, a platform the DNC argued the website uses regularly. The DNC filed a lawsuit in April against the Trump campaign, Russian government, and WikiLeaks, alleging a massive conspiracy to tilt the 2016 election in Donald Trump's favor. 
All of the DNC attempts to serve the lawsuit via email failed. The DNC said in last month's motion to the judge, which was ultimately approved. The lawsuit was served through a tweet from a Twitter account established Friday by Cohen Milstein, the law firm representing the DNC in the suit with the intent of serving the lawsuit. Amazing, isn't it? So this white shoe law firm employed a man who is now facing charges for child pornography and also they sued Trump and WikiLeaks on behalf of the DNC. Man, how does it happen? Liz Crokin followed up with this last night. This story broke over the weekend. The Daily Mail article is today. She wrote, the U.S. attorney Markenzie LaPointe, who took down the attorney Michael Dolce on child porn charges, who also worked for the firm suing Trump on behalf of the DNC, was appointed by Biden. Furthermore, LaPointe was involved in the investigation case over the classified records at Mar-a-Lago. So that's quite the interesting web of connections we're seeing develop here. And who knows where this story is going to go? Who knows what these connections mean? Just going to have to take it in and watch it develop. Now, an update on the potential Trump arrest. Donald Trump has said that he is headed to New York to go to the courthouse tomorrow morning. And the latest story about all of this is that Alvin Bragg is pushing the judge to issue a gag order on Donald Trump so that he will stop talking about the case. And apparently Alvin Bragg is considering various obstruction type charges because he's upset with how Donald Trump has been describing him in public. Let's go to Newsweek for this and our favorite Ewan Palmer, Ewanon Palmer. We never hear that much from him anymore, but whenever we do, we can always know that it will be entertaining and absolute lunacy. So let's check out what he has to say. How Donald Trump's gag order would work. Newsweek's Ewan Palmer this morning. Donald Trump may be legally prevented from publicly speaking about his historic hush money case if a New York judge imposes a gag order on the former president. Trump is set to become the first United States president in history to be criminally charged when he hands himself into authorities on Tuesday after getting indicted as part of Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's probe into the $130,000 payment to former adult film star Stormy Daniels. The former president has frequently denied any wrongdoing in connection to the money paid to Daniels to keep an alleged affair the pair had a secret prior to the 2016 election, which prosecutors say amounts to a campaign violation. Well, no, that's the theory. They don't really say that they're going to try to say that. And the alleged affair that the pair had is a very strange framing because Donald Trump says they didn't have it. And Stormy Daniels says they didn't have it. So it's strange to see them all continue to just assume all of this is true. Investigators are looking into whether any records were falsified when Trump's former attorney, Michael Cohen, was reimbursed for money he paid Daniels on behalf of the former president, which the Trump organization listed as legal fees. There is continuing speculation that following his arraignment on Tuesday, Manhattan's acting Supreme Court Justice Juan Merchan will impose a gag order against Trump, which will restrict the Republican from discussing the case outside of a courtroom. If Trump violates the gag order, he could be found in contempt of court, which is punishable under New York state law with a potential 30 day prison sentence and a $1,000 fine. A spokesperson for the New York Supreme Court told Newsweek that they do not wish to comment, quote, on wild speculation and unsubstantiated claims about the potential gag order during what remains a pending criminal matter. Such gag orders aren't uncommon and are frequently imposed by judges handling criminal cases. Gag orders are put in place to ensure that there is a fair trial for the defendants and that the pretrial statements about the case do not influence potential jurors. And it's funny, isn't it, that the argument is going to be that shutting Trump up is for his good, the protection of the defendants in criminal matters. That's going to be a funny argument to watch them make in public. Apparently, if this gag order is issued, obviously Trump can appeal that. I would doubt, I would highly doubt that Donald Trump is going to follow any gag order. And in fact, I think what we may end up seeing is an illustration of how these gag orders are used. 
to blatantly manipulate the justice system and make it impossible for defendants to defend their own reputations in public. If I were to guess, I would think that we are going to see a contest about whether or not a gag order like this is even legal or constitutional. And indeed, we might see that that's why it's all happening in the first place. Trump's legal team and supporters of the former president have suggested such an order is unconstitutional and would violate Trump's First Amendment rights as he seeks a return to the White House in 2024. And then Newsweek has someone, an expert, come and say how that's not true and that we definitely need a gag order because, of course, they do. What are they going to do? Just let Donald Trump go out there and talk about things that would destroy their entire case. They can't have that. So let's get into a bit of what's going on around the world, and let's start in a place that I know is a source of great sadness for everyone. We haven't seen or discussed a sky circle in many weeks. The phenomenon of sky circles came to our world and apparently has vanished just as quickly, except there is still sky circle news out there. Today, NBC reported this. Chinese spy balloon gathered intelligence from sensitive U.S. military sites despite U.S. efforts to block it. Oh, no. The Chinese spy balloon that flew across the U.S. was able to gather intelligence from several sensitive American military sites, despite the Biden administration's efforts to block it from doing so, according to two current senior U.S. officials and one former senior administration official. And we're not allowed to know who they are, so we're just going to have to take NBC News's word for it. And this is one of those things that is always funny to me. Everybody knows that normies, establishment people, Trump haters, Biden supporters, leftists, the whole mix of them love to talk about how sources are important. Well, where did you get that? And you could say, well, I got it from NBC News. But where did NBC News get it from? Oh, it's three people that they tell us are administration officials, but they can't tell us who they are. So if we asked NBC News for its sources, all they can really say is just trust us. And so the NBC brand itself becomes the source for all this information. And people think that's okay because they imagine that NBC has some sort of responsibility, some sort of journalistic integrity to only tell the truth. But that's not true at all. So our source is NBC. Their source is eh, it's a mystery. China was able to control the balloon so it could make multiple passes over some of the sites, at times flying figure eight formations, and transmit the information it collected back to Beijing in real time, the three officials said. The intelligence China collected was mostly from electronic signals, which can be picked up from weapon systems or include communications from base personnel rather than images, the officials said. The three officials said China could have gathered much more intelligence from sensitive sites if not for the administration's efforts to move around potential targets and obscure the balloon's ability to pick up their electronic signals by stopping them from broadcasting or emitting signals. So you see, we were told by the administration that the balloon really posed no threat and that we were actually tracking the balloon to get all of its information. And then we didn't want to take the balloon out of the sky because of the debris field it might produce on the ground, threatening human life. And so we waited until it went out over the ocean, blew it up, and uh, maybe we'll collect it one day, maybe. Now, it's also interesting to note that the fake administration allowed the sky circle to proceed on its journey across the country, picking up sensitive intelligence as it went, but they were stopping some of it. And I'm sure that that was the best they could possibly do. But the sky circle was apparently relaying information back to China, which certainly sounds threatening. But then you remember that the fake president himself has shared our intelligence with China, including the intelligence on Ukraine that China then shared with Russia. So what I'm saying is they might as well have just asked the Biden administration for whatever information they needed, and Biden probably would have provided it. The National Security Council referred NBC News to the Defense Department for comment. The Defense Department directed NBC News to comments senior officials made in February that the balloon had, quote, limited additive value for the intelligence collection by the Chinese government, quote, 
over and above what China is likely able to collect through things like satellites in low Earth orbit. So it was no big deal. China has said repeatedly that the balloon was an unmanned civilian airship that accidentally strayed off course and that the U.S. overreacted by shooting it down. Officials have not said which company, department or organization the balloon belonged to, despite several requests for comment by NBC News. After the balloon was shot down in February, Biden administration officials said it was capable of collecting signals intelligence. The balloon had a self-destruct mechanism that could have been activated remotely by China, but the officials said it's not clear if that didn't happen because the mechanism malfunctioned or because China decided not to trigger it. And the article goes on with the rest of the central narrative about sky circles. It's very exciting. So the sky circle was bad and was sending information to China and was sending information about sensitive military sites, but it's not that bad. And there wasn't that much information. And crafty old Joe Biden reshuffled things at those military sites so that they couldn't actually get what they wanted. There were a couple European elections over the weekend with interesting results. This is from The Guardian yesterday. Sana Marin suffers defeat in Finland election as SDP beaten into third place. Finland's prime minister, Sana Marin, has lost her battle to stay in power after her center left Social Democratic Party was narrowly beaten into third place in a cliffhanger election by its conservative and far right rivals and center left, of course, in the minds of the global state propaganda media is what you call the avowed global communists who present themselves as the establishment, as the party that represents all of the normal people who know what's going on and want a really nice world. Remember, of course, Joe Biden is a moderate. With all of the votes counted on Sunday, the right-wing National Coalition Party won 20.8% of the vote, with the populist Nation First Finns Party scoring 20.1%. Marin's SDP took 19.9% of the vote. Voter turnout was 71.9%. Marin congratulated the election winners during her concession speech, but hailed an improvement in both her party's vote share and its projected number of members of parliament. It's a really good achievement, even though I didn't finish first today, she told supporters in Helsinki. Democracy has spoken. The Finnish people have cast their vote and the celebration of democracy is always a wonderful thing, she added. We have good reason to be happy about this result. The NCP's leader, Pateri Orpo, told the public broadcaster, Yale that the result was a big victory, a strong mandate for our policies adding that his party would be leading the coalition talks. Finn's leader, Rika Pura, called it an excellent result. Orpo, a 53-year-old former finance minister, said the Nordic country's solidarity with Kyiv would remain strong during his tenure. First to Ukraine, we stand by you, with you, Orpo told the Associated Press at NCP's victory event. We cannot accept this terrible war. And we will do all that is needed to help Ukraine, Ukrainian people, because they fight for us. This is clear. Finland, which shares a long border with Russia, cleared the last hurdles of becoming a NATO member earlier in the week as alliance members, Turkey and Hungary, signed off on the country's membership bid. And jumping down in the article, I trust the Finnish tradition of negotiating with all parties and trying to find the best possible majority government for Finland, Orpo told the AP. And you know what is important for us? It's that we are an active member of the European Union. We build up NATO Finland and we fix our economy. We boost our economic growth and create new jobs. These are the crucial, main, important issues we have to write into the government program. The NCP leader, who has said the party did not rule out working with anyone, is now expected to start sounding out other leaders to begin trying to form a new coalition government from Monday, a process likely to take several weeks. He could try to assemble a right-leaning blue-black coalition with the Finns and one or more smaller parties, but may also decide to pursue a cross-spectrum blue-red alliance with the SDP and its allies, an outcome analysts see as perhaps most likely despite significant policy differences. Doesn't that sound exactly like Republicans and Democrats working together? Did Finland just switch its uniparty representation in their government? 
They've removed the World Economic Forum young global leader and Instagram party girl and replaced her with people who want to form a coalition potentially with her and her allies. His task is complicated by the fact that the SDP and two of its current five-party coalition, the Greens and the Left Alliance, have already ruled out any alliance with the Finns, which Marin called openly racist during the campaign. Of the two others, the Swedish People's Party, a moderate party representing Swedish-speaking Finns, unrelated to the Swedish far-right party of the same name, has also said it is very unlikely to partner with the far-right party. So the good news is that the country and its people are moving in the right direction. The bad news is that it sounds like they have a very active uniparty who is just going to keep pushing the global agenda forward. Now, it's interesting that Hungary and Turkey have signed off on Finland to join NATO because those are the two more sovereign nationalist countries and they've held out on that for quite a while. But let's go to Montenegro. This is from Bloomberg yesterday. Montenegrin leader voted out after three decades of dominance. An Oxford educated economist won Sunday's presidential runoff in Montenegro, rallying voters fed up with more than three decades of political dominance by incumbent Milo Dukanovic. Yakov Milatovic, a 36-year-old former banker, got 60% of votes compared with 40% for Dukanovic, state broadcaster RTCG reported. It cited the Podgorica-based Center for Monitoring and Research, which conducted a parallel count from 90% of a nationwide sample of polling stations. A relative newcomer who co-founded a political party only last year, Milatovic promised renewed economic reforms and pledged to root out corruption to bring the NATO member state of 620,000 people closer to European Union membership. If confirmed by official results expected on Monday, the victory sets the stage for general elections in June that may further erode the influence of Dukanovic, who has served almost continuously as president or premier since 1991. It may also resolve a political deadlock in the tourism dependent economy, which suffered one of Europe's worst economic contractions during the COVID-19 pandemic. Two successive governments collapsed last year amid infighting among lawmakers in Montenegro's parliament, and the country has been run by a caretaker cabinet for more than six months. Milatovic, who has worked for Deutsche Bank and the EBRD and Slovenia-based NLB, also pledged to keep Montenegro aligned with EU policies, even as he wooed voters who cherish the country's historic ties with Russia. The influential Serbian Orthodox Church, the biggest denomination in Montenegro, also endorsed him after recurring disputes with Djokanovic. Originally a communist and an ally of Serb strongman Slobodan Milosevic, Djokanovic became a pro-Western leader who ditched close ties with Russia and now supports sanctions imposed on the Kremlin over the invasion of Ukraine. During his campaign, Dukanovic warned of threats to Montenegro's sovereignty from nationalism towards Serbia, even as Montenegro's former federation country and much bigger neighbor remains his country's top trading partner. With similar messages to voters in 2020 parliamentary elections, his party lost that ballot to a motley alliance ranging from conservative and pro-Serbian to pro-Western and liberal groups. A parliamentary election on June 11th will pit Yukanovich's Democratic Party of Socialists against Europe Now, co-founded last year by Milatovic with former finance minister Milojko Spajic, once a Goldman Sachs credit analyst. While in government from late 2020 until April 2022, the two oversaw a tax reform and a rise in public wages, despite criticism that it would undermine state finances. And speaking of finances, the global upheaval related to the dollar continues. This is from Friday in Reuters. India's new trade policy aims to promote rupee trade. India's new foreign trade policy to be adopted from April 1st will take steps to support international trade using the rupee currency. The government said on Friday as it looks to boost exports amid slowing global trade. 
The South Asian nation is prepared to trade in rupees with nations facing a shortage of dollars so as to disaster proof them and effectively boost its exports. Commerce Secretary Sunil Barthwal told a news conference in the capital, New Delhi. The measures include industry-specific targets to reach the goal of $2 trillion in exports of merchandise and services by 2030, said Santosh Kumar Sarangi, head of the Directorate General of Foreign Trade. That represents a nearly threefold jump from expected exports of $770 billion in financial year 2022-23, he added, despite global uncertainties that make the export scenario slightly challenging. India is also launching a new amnesty scheme for one-time settlement of defaults on export obligations. The scheme, which aims for faster resolution of trade disputes, will run until September 2023, but will not apply to cases involving fraud investigations. India's new policy will also automate some trade approvals and cut charges for medium-sized and small businesses to secure some government-backed benefits. So they are moving away from the dollar in foreign trade. This is from Reuters today. Malaysia opened to talks with Beijing over dispute in South China Sea. Malaysian Prime Minister Anwar Ibrahim on Monday said he was prepared to negotiate with China over a maritime dispute between the two countries, days after a think tank reported Chinese patrolling close to a Malaysian offshore gas project. China claims sovereignty over almost the entire South China Sea, through which about $3 trillion worth of shipborne trade passes annually. Malaysia, Brunei, the Philippines, Taiwan, and Vietnam have some overlapping claims. The issue was raised between Anwar and Chinese President Xi Jinping in China last week. As Malaysia has energy exploration projects in the area, Anwar said at an address on Monday at the prime minister's department. Anwar did not specify which dispute or which area of the South China Sea. In that area, there is a similar claim from China. I said to them that as a small country that needs oil and gas resources, we have to continue. But if the condition is that there must be negotiation, then we are ready to negotiate, Anwar said, without elaborating. China claims about 90% of the South China Sea via a U-shaped nine-dash line on its maps that cuts through the exclusive economic zones of five Southeast Asian countries. That line was declared invalid as part of an international arbitration ruling in 2016, which Beijing does not recognize. Malaysian state oil company Petronas operates oil and gas fields in the South China Sea within Malaysia's EEZ, that's exclusive economic zone, and has in recent years had several encounters with Chinese vessels. Those include a month-long standoff between a Chinese survey ship and an oil exploration vessel contracted by Petronas in 2020, which China had said was conducting normal activities. The U.S. think tank, the Asia Maritime Transparency Initiative, in a report last week said a Chinese Coast Guard vessel was for the past month operating near Petronas's Kasawari gas development off Malaysia's Sarawak state and came as close as 1.5 miles of the project. A Malaysian Navy ship was in the area at the same time AMTI said. So we have an American think tank letting Malaysia know that China's breaking the rules. Malaysia's Navy did not immediately respond to a request for comment, and Petronas declined to comment. China Foreign Ministry spokesperson Mao Ning on Monday said they were not aware of the specific incident, but said the Coast Guard operated within China's jurisdiction and its conduct was beyond reproach. So it sounds like we have a globalist think tank saying China bad and Malaysia saying, yeah, all right, it's okay. We've seen the attempts by the global regime to make Russia a global pariah. They are now shifting to do that with China, and it does not seem to be working at all. This is Bloomberg today. China's yuan replaces dollar as most traded currency in Russia. China's yuan has replaced the U.S. dollar as the most traded currency in Russia a year after the invasion of Ukraine led to a slew of Western sanctions against Moscow. The yuan surpassed the dollar in monthly trading volume in February for the first time, and the difference became more pronounced in March, according to data compiled by Bloomberg based on daily transaction reports from the Moscow exchange. Before the invasion, the yuan's trading volume on the Russian market was negligible. 
The switch comes after additional sanctions this year affected the few banks in Russia that retained the ability to make cross-border transfers in dollars and other currencies of countries branded unfriendly by the Kremlin. Ray Faison Bank International AG, whose Russian branch remains one of the main conduits for international payments in the country, was among the lenders that came under elevated pressure from European and U.S. authorities. Russia has deepened its ties with China since the February 2022 invasion, prompted a break in relations with the West. In March, Chinese President Xi Jinping made Moscow his first visit abroad after his reelection and promised the Kremlin expanded cooperation in the areas of trade, investment, supply chains, mega projects, energy and high tech. Sweeping sanctions targeting Russia's financial system have forced the Kremlin and Russian companies to switch their foreign trade transactions from the dollar and euro to currencies of countries that have declined to join any restrictions. The finance ministry converted its market operations to the yuan instead of the dollar earlier this year and developed a new structure for the National Wealth Fund to hold 60% of its assets in yuan. The Bank of Russia regularly calls on companies and citizens to move their assets into the ruble or quote unquote friendly currencies to avoid the risk of having them blocked or frozen. Despite all that, the dollar remained the most popular currency on the Russian market until now, only rarely losing out to the yuan in terms of volumes on any given trading day, according to the exchange data compiled by Bloomberg. Now there are fewer dollars on the market as Russia's revenues decreased due to the oil price drop and a decrease in exports, said Iskander Lutsko, a strategist at ITI London. At the same time, commodity imports from Russia to China are up by 29%, although exports from China are stagnating. And this is from Breitbart on Friday. China open to strengthening military coordination with Russia. A spokesman for the Chinese Defense Ministry said on Thursday that China is ready to increase military cooperation with Russia after dictators Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin met in Moscow two weeks ago. And it is honestly amazing to me that the Western media still calls the leaders of other countries dictators when we don't have free and fair elections in the United States of America. Joe Biden is considered a legitimate leader. But she and Putin are not. And I don't actually need to argue for either's legitimacy to point out the difference in coverage here. Joe Biden is absolutely illegitimate. He is also in every way operating as an illegitimate dictator would ruling over a banana republic in authoritarian fashion, censoring the people, trying to disarm them engaging in blatant political prosecutions, turning the power of the state against its own people. They are absolutely giving away any moral authority that would allow them to call leaders from other countries dictators. The Chinese military is willing to work together with the Russian military to fully implement the important consensus reached by the two heads of state, further strengthening strategic communication and coordination. Chinese Defense Ministry spokesman Colonel Tan Kefi said, Tan has said this enhanced cooperation could include more joint exercises and patrols, such as the five days of training held in the Gulf of Oman by China, Russia, and Iran during the week of March 15th. Tan said the exercises would help the three authoritarian countries to jointly carry out diversified maritime military missions. Tan insisted China's coordination with Russia would be different from the military alliances of the Cold War because it is, quote, based on the principles of non-alliance, non-confrontation, and non-targeting of third parties, a declaration that may come as something of a surprise to the Ukrainians. And again, the motivations here in this Breitbart piece are questionable at best. Tan said Russia would help to implement China's Global Security Initiative, a hazy piece of Chinese communist propaganda from last summer that portrays Beijing as the selfless guarantor of world peace, but somehow managed to overlook the Russian invasion of Ukraine as a threat to global security. Oh, you got them now, Breitbart. 
China last week denied reports in Western media that it has provided assistance to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, possibly including lethal weapons. Customs data examined by reporters told a different story, revealing Chinese corporations began shipping assault rifles, body armor and drone parts to Russia in the summer of 2022, although not yet in mass quantities. The White House issued a public warning for China to refrain from aiding the invasion in any way. And it's worth noting that the fake administration clearly has no power to influence these situations. I'm not claiming that that's good for America per se, but to the extent that the multipolar world order is indeed emerging, all of this is pretty sound proof that the global regime seems fully unable to stand in the way of that at all. Putin insisted on Sunday that Russia and China are not, quote, creating any military alliance. Yes, we have cooperation in the sphere of military technical interaction. We are not hiding this. Everything is transparent. There is nothing secret, he said in comments broadcast on Russian state television. Putin dismissed Westerners skeptical of the Russian-Chinese partnership as jealous and compared NATO to the Axis powers of World War II. The day before he made these remarks, Putin announced Russia would move tactical nuclear weapons to Belarus. And so as the global order resets in some way toward the multipolar world order, what we have on the horizon is China and Taiwan. I've been saying for well over a year now that that situation seems to be a mirror of the Russia-Ukraine conflict, the global regime protecting its assets in its proxy states against the threat of all of that being taken away. This is from the New York Post today. McCarthy to meet Taiwan president in California, despite China warning. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy announced Monday that he will meet with Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen in Southern California later this week, a move that has already drawn the ire of China. McCarthy will host the bipartisan meeting with Tsai at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in Simi Valley as the self-governed island's leader stops on a 10-day tour of the U.S., the Speaker's office announced. The announcement was unwelcome news for Beijing, which considers Taiwan a breakaway province and whose president, Xi Jinping, has said his top priority is reunification with the island. Democratic Taiwan, however, claims independence from the larger nation. Chinese Foreign Ministry spokeswoman Mao Ning criticized the upcoming meeting, saying Beijing, quote, has repeatedly stressed that we strongly oppose any form of official interaction and contact between the U.S. side and Taiwan authorities. There is but one China in the world, and Taiwan is an inalienable part of China, Mao said. Relevant U.S. congressmen need to refrain from sending the wrong signals to Taiwan independence forces and avoid undermining the U.S.-China relations and peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait. The U.S. currently observes a one-China policy, which acknowledges China's claims to the island, but considers Taiwan's sovereignty status as unsettled. Still, senior U.S. leaders, including President Biden, have said Washington would come to Taiwan's defense if China were to launch a military invasion. And again, think about the framing. They just got finished saying that China views Taiwan as part of China and the U.S. views Taiwan as part of China, but also the U.S. views Taiwan as not part of China. Therefore, we will, according to Joe Biden, go to war with China to protect Taiwan, which is part of China. Kind of like Russia and Ukraine, isn't it? Especially now that a third of Ukraine is just Russia. Tsai reportedly met last week with the top House Democrat, Representative Hakeem Jeffries of New York, who represents Brooklyn and Queens. And you might remember that Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan last year. We've also seen a series of visits and meetings by former Secretary of State under Donald Trump, Mike Pompeo. And the Post article mentions that Antony Blinken was supposed to be going to China and then canceled his trip after the whole Sky Circle incident. Now, I know I promised some Twitter stuff. It's looking time-wise like we're going to have to delay that 
till tomorrow or later this week. And so let's finish here. The New York Times this weekend published this piece. Russian shelling kills six as assault stalls in Ukraine's east. Russian shelling blasted apartment blocks, homes and a preschool in eastern Ukraine on Sunday, killing six civilians, even as evidence mounted that Moscow has failed to make much progress in its campaign to seize the whole of the region. For months, the fighting in the Donbass, an industrial and agricultural region close to the Russian border, has been the scene of grinding battles that have sapped the strength of both armies. But while Russia has struggled to gain territory against Ukraine's military, it has regularly launched attacks on civilians. The latest such attack involved the shelling of a town around 15 miles west of the front line that killed three men and three women and wounded 11 others, according to President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine. The attack damaged numerous apartment buildings, spraying wet earth and shrapnel. Soldiers helped civilians clear away rubble and cover broken windows with plywood. Workers found the body of one of the victims, an elderly man, next to a huge crater in his vegetable garden. And they continue describing this alleged attack much in the way they've described other alleged attacks by Russia on Ukrainian civilians for the last 13 plus months now. We have heard stories about schools and apartments and maternity hospitals and all the rest. Those reports have continued to turn out to be false. And that doesn't mean that this one is. But there's good reason to suspect that the New York Times isn't covering it accurately. And you can skip down in the article and find out pretty easily why they're disseminating this story and why now. Here's the answer. We discussed it last week. Russia took over the Security Council presidency on Saturday, just a few days after the deterioration of its international relationships were underscored by its arrest of Evan Gershkovich, a Wall Street Journal reporter. The Russian authorities accuse him of espionage, which the United States and the newspaper call a bogus charge. Secretary of State Antony J. Blinken said that he had spoken with his Russian counterpart, Sergei Lavrov, on Sunday and demanded Mr. Gershkovich's release. Mr. Blinken said on Twitter that he had expressed grave concern over Russia's unacceptable detention of a U.S. citizen journalist. So on multiple fronts, they are trying to delegitimize the Russian perspective in every way possible as Russia takes the chair. They are going to be the president of the U.N. Security Council for the next month. That position goes in rotation. The country's representatives cycle through. And it seems like the regime might be really worried about what Sergei Lavrov and Russia intend to do in the U.N. Security Council. I imagine a lot of that time is going to be spent debunking stories and narratives like this one and like the sabotage of the Nord Stream pipeline and the blowing up of that Crimean bridge. All of these accusations of war crimes, they are ramping up various anti-Russian narratives in order to blunt the impact of whatever comes out in the U.N. Security Council this month. I am sure that is going to produce a lot of interesting new information. And so we will keep our eyes on that. I will be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode, and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com, and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree, linktree.com slash imyourmoderator. And I'll see you soon, out on the range.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!